Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Other Side Podcast mission is to discuss important cultural and social issues relating to race, culture, gender, and equality. Hey, thanks for joining us again for another episode of The Other Side Podcast. I'm Scott Kirk here with Lucas Sullivan, and today we'll be talking to former Ohio State wide receiver Demetrius Stanley, who played for the Buckeyes in the 90s. Scott, I met Demetrius again and talked to him a lot because a few years ago he ran as a Republican for Columbus City Council. I thought it would be good to have a discussion about what's going on right now, you know, within the Ohio State football program. And obviously, everybody knows what's going on and the issues around that. So I'm excited about this one. I think it'll be a good one. I am, too. I want to start off by posing a question to both of you. And the question is, do you think that our sports, college and pro are over glorified? And the reason why I ask that question is, as you mentioned, we were talking about the current um, situation with the program and the suspension of, of the coach. And he got uh, fired. The uh, ongoing investigation. Oh, you mean Urban getting yeah, yeah. getting put on administrative yeah, yeah. leave? Yeah. So as I was kind of going through some of the stories this week and our comments and, you know, Fans, Ohio State fans are notoriously loyal, which I understand. But you had a lot of fans basically saying this week that they don't really care. They don't really care about the abuse allegations. Well, there and there was that rally with like 100 people with the super fan. I think it was Tennessee Jack or whatever who said right. he drove 12 hours to hold a 15 minute rally. Yeah. To support Urban. Right. So, yeah, so there's been, it's kind of, the pendulum has kind of swung back that way toward fans coming out and defending the program in Urban. Right, which is, to me, interesting because, first of all, the investigation isn't over. So they're they're basically saying we support Meyer regardless of the outcome. At least that that's how I'm kind of taking it. And so I, I think that sort of plays into this this bigger issue of sports and I mean, I, I could give a million examples. You know, you have parents grooming their kids from toddler size, you know, to, to play in these tournaments and in these leagues. You've got, you know, this idea that things that are happening in the country socially and culturally. So you're talking about like putting sports ahead of a, yeah, a significant just, issue. Ahead of pretty much everything. There seems to be this, this feeling that people just want to be entertained by the game. Mm. And anything outside of that, whether it be the players, the, the officials, the staff, they're not really concerned about that. As long as you run the ball or, or make the basket, that's all they, they're really concerned about. And so just as a as an observer asking you guys, do you think that we've reached a point that people have put sports on such a high pedestal that they're willing to just kind of accept any behavior? And is that is that OK? Is it OK to just care about the game and, and not bring all these other issues into the mix? I would have to say, if you know the history of sport in America, you have to go back to a time during the Great Depression when they made baseball a popular sport. And you look at what it was done, what it was created to do. It was created to distract the American people from what was going on in the Great Depression. That was used as a way of keeping people from losing their mind, basically. So if you go and you look at how 
all this, how sports became such a, you know, big deal. It was, it was literally created and highlighted and promoted, not created, but promoted to distract people from all their woes of what was happening during the Great Depression. So it makes sense that where sports are and why it's glorified to today. And, you know, this is the thing I get a lot of times is, you, well, uh, there's some serious issues going on in the world and in this country. And then you say something and, you know, you get a bunch of responses about LeBron James missing a bucket. But then when you talk about something that's really, truly affecting people's lives, there's hardly any response. And I know a lot of people don't understand probably some of the stuff that's going on. But, yeah, I, I think when things are going well, it's fine. When things aren't, you got to be able to transition into, okay, what is really affecting society? And I think right now you're getting a lot of that but you're getting it with a lot of people that don't understand what's really happening and really going on. They're just going off of what they're seeing put in front of them. And then, you know, when they start to bring athletes into the political realm, I think the two should stay separate. I think it's something where this is for people's relief. And, you know, when athletes start to get into the politics when they're still doing their current sport and they use that as their uh, vehicle to push their message, I think that ruins certain things because I mean look at the NFL now NFL has lost so much support lost a lot of people because of a very important issue but I think it could have been done differently um, but yeah I think sports are, are over glorified today I think athletes get a little too much credit for things outside of sports but you know what it's the world we live in and that's exactly what sports were created for it was created as a distraction not created, but it was used as a distraction during a very tumultuous in the U.S. history. So therefore, it just only continued, and that's what made athletes, and they put them on such a pedestal and made them such a star because of the time at which they yeah. started to fully promote sports. Demetrius, but you know, you played for Ohio State for four years, and the intensity of fans and their fandom of Ohio State hasn't changed. Then no. it's the same as it is now, and. Right. I would imagine you probably weren't surprised to see, you know, fans put football and urban ahead of what may have happened between Zach Smith and Courtney Smith. Absolutely not. Wasn't surprised at all. But I mean, you got to look at, I look at timelines. I look at events that occurred. And obviously he knew the kid had an issue. That That is, if you look at whatever all is being said, that it was an issue since 2009. He knew it was an issue. That, for me, that's not even a question anymore. Now, whether he handled it appropriately, I think that's where the question comes into play. But it doesn't surprise me Ohio State fans would say he wins. And you, there's nothing, people love to win. They love to be winners. And a lot of people base their lives on Ohio State success. Hey, Demetrius, I wondered when I was thinking about this in the context of when you played, how intimate do players get with their coaches? I mean, you were a wide receiver. You were coached by predominantly by a wide receiver's coach. I mean, John Cooper may have stopped over, you know, during practice and watched you guys for a little bit or when the whole team was on the field during practice, but you spent a lot of time with your positions coach. I wonder, do players know what's going on in the personal lives of their position coach, or are those two things predominantly kept separate on the football field? Well, it, it all depends. You know, a John Cooper team, like we weren't really, as, like some of the players, like I'd say, uh, Coach Puggett, Coach Tim Spencer, uh, coaches like that, a lot of players were close, but John Cooper wasn't a, a personal type coach. He was, I'm a delegator, this is what I do, and, and this is my job, and he approached it in that manner. So there was some disconnection in a lot of places, and one of the people we were really close to was Coach Kennedy. Uh, he was the strength conditioning coach, but we really didn't know a lot about the private life of what happened with the coaches. It wasn't really discussed. Now, I, 
can't say that this being an issue with this guy for so many years, this may have been out there and they may have known, but here's the problem with this type of situation. As a head coach, as a player, as a position coach, any team preaches loyalty, right? It's all about loyalty. And, you know, the world we live in today is, you know, they call them snitches. If you go out snitching, you know, so for a player, for a coach, for a head coach, you want someone to be loyal to them. So you try to handle things in a manner that it doesn't get out to the public so that that person knows you've got my back. Once your loyalty breaks down as a team, you'll completely lose your team and then things will fall apart for you. So you have this double-edged sword of, I preach loyalty, but if I go out and I say all this to the public and I do this to him, then I'm showing my team that I'm not being loyal. So, okay, well, I'm going to try to fix it myself, get him help, put him in a position to make things better for him, but keep it all quiet. So that's one of the big issues with being in a team atmosphere, being in a leadership position. It's a fine line of how you destroy your loyalty in your program versus, well, this is the right thing to do for outside of my program. And so that, you, that's kind of where it gets a little shaky and cloudy for a lot of people in, the, in a sports world. And do you think that this situation puts the players in a tough spot? I mean, you know, I'm not saying timing is at all a factor here and maybe even not that important, except if I'm a player and I just came here to play football and and now, as I'm opening up my preseason camp, I'm dealing with increased media scrutiny, you know, talking about I'm sure they're, you know, they're probably getting briefed on what they should and shouldn't say and who they should and shouldn't talk to. I just wonder how all this you think weighs on players. Not much, man. When players, when you come here as a player, you are so focused on what you got to do and how you have to do it and when you have to do it. But I will say no distraction is ever a good thing. But when you're a player at Ohio State, you came here and, and you're a serious player. You came here for one thing. Whatever else is going on outside, most of the time you don't know or you don't pay attention to it. And then especially the youth of today, they're so not into things that happen outside of their own little world. So I would say, like I said, no distractions, good distractions, but I don't think it's affecting how they're doing what they're doing because at the end of the day, you still have to go out there on that practice field and camp and earn your position. So you're so consumed with that idea, a lot of the other stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't really register and probably doesn't really register on the serious scale very high for them at this point because it's not directly affecting them. So that's how I feel from my me being in sports and knowing today's youth. I think that's where they're at. Their whole focus is I got to go out here and beat the man in front of me mm, or I got to go out here and keep my position. So the rest of it, all that nonsense going on over there is probably pretty irrelevant to their to the functioning of their life. Hey, Demetrius, do you think yeah. is it our business? Is it our business if somebody on the team beats their wife? Since we're sort of straddling this line between just being purely entertained and everything else in this particular case or another case, maybe it's some other issue. Maybe somebody has a substance abuse problem or, or something else. But in general, is it our business what people do in their personal lives and should they be held accountable right. or penalized? This for has that? been like the workplace, you know, water cooler talk of is Urban or Ohio State as Zach Smith employer, you know, are they responsible for disciplining him for what right. he does yeah. in his own home? Yeah. Absolutely. As far as the public goes, it's none of our business. You know what? They shouldn't care um, what the public says. But as a coach, uh, a dad, a mom, a president of a company, or whatever it is that you are a part of and that you are the leader, you absolutely should be held accountable for what your people do if you've not taken any steps 
to change um, the reality of that situation. If you're just like, oh, whatever, keep on moving, absolutely you should be held accountable. But if it shows that Urban Meyer took the proper steps, what protocol was, and he did everything that aligned with, you know, the moral aspect of it, the, you know, rule aspect of it, if he did that, then no, you did what you could do. You did your part. Do you think he should be fired if he knew about it and didn't do anything Um, about it? If it's in his contract, yes. If it was not in his contract, I don't think he should be fired. I'm interested in hearing your perspective on, you know, you've been in that locker room. I'm sure you've heard the talk, you know, especially with this president. We, you know, we, we heard the phrase locker room talk, but now you have it. You have a daughter now who's, I believe, right. two years old. Uh, you have right. a, you have a really strong wife. And I wonder if your perspective has changed or how you view treating women. Without women, this world would be destroyed. Um, I think women are the most important ingredient to a healthy society. And I will tell you this. Now, my wife and a lot of people are going to say this is probably male chauvinist or whatever you want to call it. Now, my wife owns her own business and she works. And that is awesome. And I love that she likes to work. But the worst thing that's happened to our society, in my personal opinion, is that we've created an economy that pulls the wife away from home, which takes them away from our children. You know, when we were growing up, when I was growing up, you always came home. There was mom at home. You know, you had structure. You know, come home, mom was going to make you do your homework, and it kept you out of trouble. And then all of a sudden, you had this new economy where both parents have to work. You got kids coming home, and now they have allowances, and then they get free time. And, you know, when you get put money in kids' hands, I think it's a large part of why the drug issue among youth is a big problem. I think it's a big problem of, you know, kids not being as successful as they can be. So when you ask me about the role of women, that is the most important ingredient that we have in the society. I'm not saying fathers aren't important. They're very important. They're both important. But when it comes to nurturing a child and bringing a child into the world, a woman is very essential. And I think the worst thing that's happened to our society is the breakdown of the family and taking the woman out of the home, which not taking her out of the home, but taking her away from our children on a daily basis. That is a very dangerous thing, and you can see where society is today. But what about laying your hands on a woman? I, that was p- part of my question. What do you? Oh, no, absolutely not. You don't, no matter what happens, you know, now, if she's hitting you, you can grab her and hold on until she stops hitting you. But to point, like, I couldn't imagine my my grandfather, my dad, you know, no man in my family that I know of and that I'm aware of that's been in my life that never would do a thing like that. No man should hit a woman. That's just not even fair. Now, if someone is attacking you, you have the right to defend yourself. But to just outright punch a woman in the face or do something violent to a woman is un- totally unacceptable, completely unacceptable. But you always have to be able to defend yourself. I will say that. All right. Well, man, this has been a great discussion. We yeah, really I knew it would be. Thank you, Demetrius. Yeah, thanks a lot. Uh, we really appreciate it, and especially, you know, on such short notice. And I know you're on the road, so we really appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk to us. And All right, man. Well, hey, we appreciate your time. Thanks again. All right. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. That was an interesting discussion. So now let's talk about something totally different. Yeah, Take you know, it away, so, Lucas. So I said in our discussion with Demetrius, you know, people need to appreciate history. And mm-hmm. one of the last remaining Tuskegee Airmen passed away at age 99. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't much coverage of it. And, you know, I'm not going to get on my soapbox about that. But this group of men, you know, anytime one of them passes away, it's just a reminder of what their generation did for this country. And in particular, the Tuskegee Airmen, if you don't know 
were basically the first group of black pilots. Right. And they started at a time when a lot of the South was still under Jim Crow laws. Mm-hmm. There was racism that was even more outward and accepted than what we're seeing today. In- including in the military. In the military, it was ratcheted up even. And this group was called the Tuskegee Airmen because they trained in Tuskegee, Alabama. And they were a group that were subjected to not only intense training, but also all these hurdles put in their way because of, you know, the racism that they had to face. And they weren't given like the type of equipment and clothes and things or even a lower standard than what white airmen were getting. And they overcame all that to be a group of heroes yeah and they flew missions and shot down enemies and captured enemies and helped us win world war ii and these guys trained for more than two years before they ever flew a mission which was a lot longer than their white cohorts had to train and there was a lot of talk at the time about not letting them do anything and the base that they were at became this like repository of you know black enlisted men or troubled enlisted men that the army didn't know what to do with and so you have all that in that environment and yet these guys these american heroes rose above that and helped us win world war ii and it listen i get it like we have a lot going on and a lot of information that that fills our life but the guy who passed away i should have mentioned robert martin and this guy flew 64 missions he says 63 and a half because he got shot down during one and it took him five weeks to get back on the line so he said he didn't complete that mission but this guy and like so many of those other guys overcame so much to do so many great things yeah i just wish that there was a way you know there's been movies made about these guys but i mean scott to be honest with you i kind of liken it to a little bit of what's happening now in that there are stories that have come out that you know the trump administration has started to quietly deport kick yeah enlisted people out of the military who were who joined the military to become americans to fight for this country who were brave enough to put the country ahead of themselves and are being kicked out for it and you would like to think that we've evolved and you would like to think things are different but i would imagine that these tuskegee airmen and what robert martin faced is not much different than maybe what's going on right now and it's you know just taking a moment i mean Anybody who puts themselves on the line for their country deserves an an immense amount of respect. And they get it. But it doesn't seem like these guys get recognized as much as maybe others do when they pass away. Well, they don't. I think what you said, I I agree with you 100%. I think this is, when you really think about it, how honorable these men must have been because it's how insulting is it for for you to enlist to fight for a country that doesn't even respect you that doesn't even give you at the time that you didn't even have the same rights and opportunities that white soldiers fighting next to you did and so and yet these guys still signed up and still put their lives on the line and so what do they i think history has treated them better certainly than when they were actually active and flying these missions but at the the end of the day i mean it's, it's kind of the same thing look black folks in this country we have fought for this country shed blood and tears just like everybody else and unfortunately most of the time we don't really get the recognition 
that we deserve. And so hopefully going forward, you know, that that continues to, to change. But I just think it's funny when you just, you know, you think about these men and, and like you say, they kind of quietly, you know, fade away in the history. And I think kids nowadays, even the concept that you could be in the service and not and train and not be able to like perform your duty probably seems crazy to them. I mean, but that's how much things have changed. And in some ways, you know, the country We've gotten a lot better, but there's still some areas where, you know, in some ways it hasn't changed a lot. And so, you know, there have been movies made about the Tuskegee Airmen. One called the Tuskegee Airmen. I think Lawrence Fish, Fishbourne was in it. Is Red Tails about that? Red Tails is about yeah, it. I thought so. they, they, had, they had crimson on their tails. And so other combat servicemen recognized their planes by their red tails. Right. So there is a movie, I think, based loosely on the Tuskegee Airmen. So there's been some homage paid. But I think, you know, Red Tails was maybe like maybe yeah, 2010 and wasn't. I mean, right. no, not many people heard of it. And the Tuskegee Airmen movie that I'm talking about, the one always comes to mind, I think it was like in the, in the early 90s. And, you know, so maybe people aren't going back and watch it, but just take a minute and read about Robert Martin if you can and just appreciate the sacrifice. I mean, these guys, one of their first commanding officers, looked them in the face and said, you aren't good enough to train with white pilots. I mean, so just imagine, I can't imagine it really when, when I make the decision to serve my country. And I want to do something good. And, you know, my commanding officer, who I'm supposed to be loyal to and admire, tells me I'm not good enough. And yet I still overcome that and overcome all these hurdles. And I help us win a war. It's crazy. That just goes to show in in that situation for people like that race trumps everything. Because in that situation, if you have a you got a guy here, he's willing to fight, he's able and you say, that's okay. I'd rather I hate your, the color of your skin so much that I would rather you sit you down and not take advantage of of what you have to offer because, you know, of your skin. Like that's such a insane way of thinking. But yeah, and the sad part about it is it's, there's it's not far off the rhetoric we're hearing today. No. So anyway. All right, man. Well, I think we uh got another good one in the books. And I just want to remind everybody out there, don't forget that we are on Facebook and we're on Twitter. You can reach us, find our Facebook page at facebook.com slash groups slash other side podcast. Or you can always find us on Twitter at other side underscore POD. And you can email us at other side mailbox at gmail.com. So until the next time, try to see things from the other side. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.